Welcome to Voices in the River. This is Rebecca Allman. We are gathered today to disrupt some narratives about women and power, ancestors and magic. Come and sit with me, your devoted witch, and listen to the flow as we interview our guest today, Amy Gorley. So in the past, you know, year or so, I've been trying to connect with my own, I would just call them ancestors, spirit guides, and try to get support. She is a thought leader and speaker in the area of ageism and an executive director of a local foundation. And Amy is going to share an incredible story. The thing that I love about this story is that so many of us have stories about ancestors that we keep to ourselves, or that maybe we only whisper to a few other people. And so it's an honor to bring this story to the river today. I also want to honor that this could be kind of tough. I mean, we're talking about pain. We're going to talk about suicide. And so I want to honor that that is really a depth that not a lot of us talk about. And another thing that we're bringing to the river, a conversation about things that are hard. So shall we start? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to begin by lighting a candle and pulling a card for you. Oh, I love it. You got the lower world. Ooh. Okay. The invitation. It is time to unearth your hidden treasures. Do not make yourself small in order for others to like or accept you. Bring out the gems and precious stones that you have kept inside your heart, hidden even from yourself. It's time to honor your past and recast your life in a heroic quest. As you journey into the lower world, you will be offered all the gifts of your ancestors, their struggles, the way they hurt, the way they lived, and the way they died will all become blessings. So since we started with this card, I think we're just going to launch into your story. Yes. So... You called me. You wanted to meet your ancestral guides or meet your luminous board of directors. I did. And what precipitated that call? Well, I was intrigued by the the sense of a luminous board because I work in nonprofits. So I'm very familiar with the board of directors and having this idea of a group to guide you. So the Luminous Board is for support, for wisdom, for guidance. And in my past life, I was president of an academic medical research foundation. And part of the reason I do this work is that when you are a leader at the top of an organization, it is really lonely. And so I was talking to people about finances, like people of great wealth who were giving a million dollars or more. I was talking to people about healthcare things that were protected by HIPAA. There was nothing that I could talk to anybody about, not my vice presidents, not my partner, not my friends. And I just felt incredibly lonely. And one of the shaman, Rosemary Beam, that I worked with said, let's craft a luminous board. So I crafted through a shamanic journey, a board, some people are living, some people are not, some are animals, one is a tree. I mean, we're working in the mythic. 
I mean, there are symbolic or archetypal images that have key messages for me. And so I lead people through a process. I work with a lot of leaders who craft their board to give them wisdom when the human wisdom is not applicable or there's something you can't talk about. Yeah. But I've heard and experienced myself how supportive it is to have a metaphorical board of directors to guide your life. Yeah, I think it's very similar to, to prayer. I've been thinking more about it. I don't pray in the traditional sense, but it is somewhat similar when you think about it. You're putting an ask out there. But what resonates for me is that I am connecting with the spirit on another side that has some sort of connection to me for whatever reason. Well, and to ground it a little bit, it's about those moments yes. of connection, those glimmers where you know mm -hmm. that there's some sort of insight or intuition coming from something that's not you, like it's not your thinking yeah. head. Mm -hmm. And so I love your connection to prayer. I think yeah. it's about prayer. I think it's about guidance received from prayer. Yeah. We just give it lots of different names. Yeah. And we've gotten really locked in to correct language about that. And I feel like it's bigger than that. Yeah, agree. And there's many different ways to get there. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of the paths. Mm -hmm. So we set up a time and yeah. I came and we went on a journey to the lower world. Yes. In fact. Yes. And so, well, some of my practices are things that I've learned from Caro Shaman from Ecuador. And in shamanism, the Caro believe the lower world is our unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so we're using the word shamanic journey. And really to simplify it, it is a guided meditation and going to a different place, a different side of your brain. Yes. Changing the neural pathway to bring in images and symbols that may have information that will be helpful. Yeah. So tell us about your journey. Let's see. So I was lying down because I preferred to lie down and be grounded. And you guided me, I think, through a, like a you know, visualization, which I'm not always keen on those, but this one worked very well. I went and then we opened a door to come to where would be my luminous board. And I remember looking in there and you're like, you know, look and see what what you see and what the atmosphere is. And it was a long table and there were lots it was like a party it was an instant party when i arrived and then i remember you saying are there others that want to come and there were more people <laughs> more spirits came in it was just like a really crowded table like a family festive gathering that they were all happy to be there which was a surprise um and then i remember you saying you gotta you gotta slow down you're talking over each other because <laughs> everyone was really excited so in the moment, I didn't get any clear messages because it was just like, hey, we're here. You called us, you know. And so what your question going yeah. into the journey, I yes. think, was how do I support myself? Correct. And so it was so cool that yes. all these spirits were like, we're here. All yeah. you have to do is ask. Yes. We're right here. I remember you asking, what, what are you getting from them? And it was a sense of connection, a sense that things were all right, a sense of groundedness, a sense of security. And then I remember coming back and we each debriefed some and I had a particular interest in who was at the lead 
of my table. I wanted to see who was leading, you know, who's who's the chairperson of the luminous board. Yeah, so it was very clear that there was one particular guide. Yeah. So we went through this particular visualization and what I saw was a very old old old, 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 old spirit. And, you know, on a side note, I do work on ageism and I try to raise awareness around ageism. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, that's an old, (laughs) that's a really old something. I've never seen something that old. And I remember thinking how funny it was, but it was definitely a female spirit. And you were coaching me to think, to ask, you know, who is it? And when I thought that I instantly heard a name three times and it was Amelia, Amelia, Amelia. And I thought, oh, no, that's not the that's not the name I wanted to hear. (laughs) So we came back and you said, did you hear who it was? And I said, yeah, I heard. And I didn't even really want to say it because I was uncomfortable with the story. But I said, it's Amelia. She said it three times. And you went, oh, three times. (laughs) And then we debriefed a little on, on the fact that Amelia was my great grandmother. And you said do you have a sense that she's connected to you? And I said, yeah, I I do. I do. Unfortunately, I feel like she's still here. And you said, you know, where is it? And I said, it's definitely below my knees. It's around my ankles. Yes. And you don't want things on the other side of the veil, spirits on the other side of the veil to necessarily be embedded in you or connected to you in this world. You want them to be where they are doing their work and being free so that you can be free. And then you did some work to try to see if we could shift it, and it still didn't quite shift all the way. And, you know, I'm familiar with the sense of kind of energetic, you know, that things can wrap around you like a vine. Yes, it did feel like uh, she was attached to your feet, and that's why we decided to go to the river Mm -hmm. and maybe wash her away. And so I would do a stone down at the river you'd suggested around my ankles, and then I'd toss the stone into the water just something symbolic that I was trying to do as well. I'm so glad that you use the word symbolic because it really is what I I do is really working in the mythic. And so are you willing to go into the mythic and create metaphors and symbols that represent the interconnectedness of nature and allow nature to support you to clear up whatever needs to be cleared. It's like working upstream. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that, and that was helpful because I did feel a little freaked out. You know, you'd be freaked out like, oh, there's energy on me, but you're like, this is the mythical realm. And I was like, okay, right. So tell me the story of Amelia, of her life. So I've always felt, I would say a fascination With Amelia, I didn't learn about her till I was an adult. Of course, I didn't know her, and no one spoke of her. I knew that she was from Italy. My ancestors came over around 1910s, um, and I wondered why no one spoke of her. So eventually, I asked questions. You know, I did a lot of research on Ancestry.com. I knew her name was Amelia Facasado. And so what I learned is that she came over to America with my great-grandfather, but she wasn't the one that was supposed to come. He was supposed to marry her sister. And so in the village, he was ready and said, you know, we're going to go to America. And the sister somehow had already married. And Amelia said, okay, I'll go. Or maybe her family said, you'll go. I'm not quite sure why she went. But she went to America 
and had a family there, had many kids, and settled down. She was in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and her husband worked in a coal mine, as many immigrants do, and they were having a discussion one evening. I think they had made pasta, of course, because they're Italian. They were eating pasta, and they were arguing over how salty the pasta is, and he died. He had a heart attack, and I'm not sure if she thought she caused it from the fight or there was just upset in the way it happened. So here she was in America, not speaking any English. She did not learn English. And she had many children, no husband, and something happened and she ended up in a state hospital. So, you know, who knows? Who knows what happened? She could have been depressed. You know, she might have been in menopause, right? We, who knows what, what would have happened. But she was there, and then what happened is she hung herself. And so that's how she died by suicide. I ended up finding the death certificate on Ancestry, which was quite shocking to actually see it written. You know, Amelia, reason for death, asphyxiation. Um, yeah, and I've always been kind of fascinated. Like, why didn't they tell this story? Yeah, so it was really something that wasn't discussed in my family. You know, was it because they were very Catholic was my assumption and that that's considered a sin. And so they just didn't talk about it. But I've had a fascination with her, like a connection. And I would tell my husband, he knew I had a fascination, but no one's really in it like you are. You know, it felt alone because it was my experience of my grandmother that did that and just almost trying to figure out why you know, why would she have done that? That's some of why I think I, I looked into it. And so when her name came up, I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> there is a reason, like there's a reason that I've been fascinated with her. Somehow we're connected. And she was really connected to you. Yes. I felt her lingering. Like I felt her, and it wasn't a negative lingering. It was just, she was still kind of globbed on to me. And she wanted something. She wanted something. Yes. And so I tried, you know, like, okay, what is it that I can help you with if I can help you, you know, because at first it felt a little spooky. Like, what, <laughs> what is this energy globbed on to me? Um, but she finally freed when we did what, what was helpful. So one day when I was down in the river, got my feet in the river, I just heard eulogy. I heard, okay, she wants a eulogy. She wants some type of recognition of her death. I don't know if she had a funeral or not. I know she's buried in the Italian cemetery in Allentown, but I cannot imagine that there was a proper funeral. So I had this sense of eulogy. And so I sat with that for a little while and thought, okay, strangely enough, I'm going to Italy again. <laughs> again. I've been to Italy many times. Now I probably know why I keep going to Italy. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to help return her to Italy. And so you went yes. with your husband, your daughter, Correct. your sister, and her children yes. were all there. Yes, okay. we were all there. And what happened? Well, before I left, I thought some about what could I do symbolically. So I brought a picture of her with her family. I found one that my mom actually has. And I had this sense that I was going to find somewhere to do a eulogy and thinking about the fact she was Catholic, I imagined that I would hopefully find a church and somewhere to do that. 
So I was staying in a small village in northern Italy and was walking around with the knowledge that I wanted to, you know, at some point on the trip, help her. I wasn't sure how or when. And I saw um, a Catholic church that was doing a funeral. And so I thought, oh, that'd be a good church. So I waited till the funeral was over and I went in and it was just perfect. It was just the perfect Italian church. It had beautiful statues lining each side. And then there was one that spoke to me that was a statue of Jesus. And let me just be clear, I'm not Catholic anymore, but I do know some of the symbolism in this one statue was Jesus. And he was so clearly saying, I have died for your sins. And I thought, oh my goodness, like he is saying that to Amelia, who knew, who needed to hear that. And so I stood in front of that statue for a while with my daughter, who's 16, and even she was saying, Jesus is really staring at you, Mom. <laughs> so I sat there for a while and sort of just opened up, and I wasn't really ready for this. I was just touring around the town. I didn't have my picture of her, but I thought, let me try to just, you know, see if she's ready to come back here. So I, in front of the Jesus statue, I remember doing a short eulogy with my daughter. I said, let me tell you a little about Amelia. She died in tragic situation, and she still deserves to be celebrated and go to the light. So then I wasn't entirely sure whether this would work, but I think you need last rites to feel like you're freed in the Catholic tradition. So I thought to just put out there to the spirits, any spirits that had been, you know, priests, yeah, monks, you know, et cetera. Is there someone that could do last rites for Amelia? Like, in essence, give her the sense that she was getting the ceremony that she needed. So I put that ask out and I felt that it was received. And so I lit a candle for her and thought, okay, this is, this is a good first step. So then we left the church and went on our way and thought, wow, that was, that was pretty wild. And then the next portion of what I had wanted to do was do a larger eulogy with my extended family. So it was the next evening. We were sitting around a very large table, similar to what I imagined when I met my luminous board. It was a large wooden table. We were being festive. We were drinking limoncello, you know, and wine. We were having a good time talking because a lot of my nieces and nephews are teenagers and young adults. So you can imagine it was a rowdy, fun time. And I thought, okay, this is the time. So I said, we're going to take a different turn here. <laughs> I said, we're going to take a slight turn. There's something I need to do while we're here. I want you all to hear about your great-grandmother. And they were all very respectful. So we, you know, put our drinks down and, and heard for a moment about Amelia. So I pulled out her picture and said, you know, I've had this connection with her. And I felt that one of my callings is to help bring her back here. And you were all her ancestors, so let me tell you about her. Without Amelia, we would not be here. We would not be thriving in the U.S. We would not be who we are. And then we passed the picture around and everyone got to see what she looked like. You know, we made some toast to her. We just appreciated the fact that here we are, so many generations later, you know, mentioning her when she probably thought no one would be mentioning her again. And I told them my last step was that I wanted to bring her picture to leave in that church. 
And I said, you're welcome to come with me on this pilgrimage up the long Italian hill to the church or not. You can go eat gelato. That's fine, too. So they all decided that they were going to come. So, you know, I got on my dress and up we went. All of us processed through town, this large group of Americans walking through this <laughs> Italian town. And we all went into this beautiful church and we sat for a while. Like, and I have, you know, a rowdy group of family, so I wasn't sure how it would go, but it was beautiful. We sat as if we were entering a very holy space, which we were. Prayers up. We all said prayers up for Amelia. I put her picture in front of Jesus. And, you know, they have candles that you light. And so I think lots of us lit those for her. And we sat there for a few moments until it felt like it was time to leave. And then when we were leaving, I looked down and saw it was a beautiful mosaic that said Peche Benye. And I looked up what that meant. In fact, I Googled it right there outside the church. And it looked like it meant peace and all good. And in the Italian, kind of the Catholic sense of recognizing the sacredness of those who we encounter. And I just, I just couldn't believe like how beautiful and perfect it was. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was wow. And as we left the church, it was a very grounding experience, but I also felt a deep sense of sadness of the fact that I was leaving her or she was leaving me, I guess, because even though there was that tormented part of her soul, to have a piece of you for so long gone, there was a sense of, yeah, a little bit of loss. But afterwards, the next day, I felt better. I felt a sense of clarity, like kind of seeing things a little bit fresh. Like as I looked around our apartment, I felt like I was seeing the art in a new way even. And I'm usually a really nervous flyer, don't love to fly. And on the way home, like I was just easy breezy, <laughs> just really calm flying back, which is unusual for me. But we had a really bumpy flight. And I was the one that was like, that wasn't so bad. And, and my niece was like, that was the worst flight ever. And when we landed, I remember her saying, oh, well, thank Amelia for getting us here safely. So, you know, now it went from like Amelia being, you know, someone that we didn't talk about to someone we're really grateful to and appreciate when good things happen. And part of the reason I do this work is I think there are so many people in the past, especially women who were locked away for having intuition or speaking their truth. Because yeah. I think part of what we're doing is speaking yeah. things that may not have been talked about before. And I know that your family had not talked about Amalia. And there was so much shame about knowing and speaking what you know. Mm -hmm. So when you came home, mm -hmm. what was it like mm. to say that to your mother? Yeah. Like, what was that like mm -hmm. to tell this kind of wild tale? Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure whether I was going to tell my mom originally. And so I came home and just felt when I was showing her pictures, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell her she can react or, you know, she can assess what, what she thinks about the story and make it into her own. And so I started to share and she received it really well. Like she, she was moved. She said, you know, I, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> you know, I can't believe you did that for her. That's really lovely. 
And then when my aunt, who is a nun, who's been a nun for 60 plus years, came to visit, again, I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to tell the story, um, but my mom was there and said, tell her about Amelia. <laughs> so I told her and she thought it was beautiful. Yeah, she thought that, you know, the imagery of bringing her back and trying to connect her back with the Christian faith, the Catholic church that was so important to her. She also believed there probably wasn't much done for her. But when I showed her the pictures of the church, she said, oh, yes. You know, she saw the pictures of Jesus. And then when I showed her the mosaic, she definitely was like, oh, that's just beautiful. Yeah, she was happy with it. I think you shared that she said, oh, yes, that's what we all are looking for. That's exactly right. And I just thought, oh, that's so beautiful that the nun at Mm -hmm. the end of the story says, peace and love is what we are all Mm -hmm. wanting. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It was kind of open channels of communication between me and my mom and my aunt that we hadn't talked about her more than just a little bit. So it was it was good to be able to acknowledge that, that we were all grateful to her. Such a beautiful story. I know. It's just, it's very surprising that I received the message, but more that I trusted to do my part in whatever way I could to help. And just to get, I mean, it is kind of a wild story. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. I never know when ancestors are going to show up, but Mm -hmm. they do occasionally like Amalia and we're asked to help them in some way. And the reason I wanted to share this story is that I think it happens a lot more than we talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, that we feel like a dragonfly or finding a dime is a signal from an ancestor. And it's just an opportunity to take those moments as grace, really. Yes. And so through this podcast, I mean, we are sharing some kind of wild stories. And there's no one way. Yeah. That's the thing. Sometimes it's the mythical way, the alternative way, the symbolic way. And this is simply an invitation to pay attention to the signs like yeah. coming from within. Yes. Uh, and even now, yes. as I'm interviewing women, what everyone says to me is, well, who wants to hear my story? Mm. And so that's sort of what we're up to mm. is <laughs> sharing some stories that we don't feel like we can talk about with friends and family. And as I keep saying, casting our voices in the river to see if it shifts. I mean, I was very nervous getting ready for this because I speak a lot. I, I do a lot of public speaking and I'm, and I'm good at it, but it's scripted. And so this was the first time that I've been doing a conversation and I've made a lot of notes and, and the irony of me trying to speak my truth <laughs> did not, you know, pass me that I'm trying to script my, my truth, you know, as I'm trying to speak it out. Isn't that so interesting, though? Like, Mm -hmm. we, especially as women, Mm -hmm. know how to follow the script. That's right. And then when we're asked to just speak. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I was like, I'm not going to remember, you know, or I'm not going to get the message that I wanted. And I'm not going to do what I should do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how it's tied into ancestral lineage, is that there have been lifetimes of women who wanted to speak and were not allowed to do so. Yes. And that's why we've had to go to our intuition. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful, Amy. Thank you so much. Yeah. We began this story by reading the invitation from the mystical shaman Oracle Deck. 
Oh, I love it. You got the lower world. Ooh. Okay. I was particularly shocked today. I mean, it always works, but today this card appeared that said, their wounds will become your gifts. And that's the magic. It's time to honor your past and recast your life in a heroic quest. As you journey into the lower world, you will be offered all the gifts of your ancestors, their struggles, the way they hurt, the way they lived, and the way they died will all become blessings. Voices in the River was created by Theo Balcom. And if you'd like to work with me, my website is RebeccaAlman.com. That's Rebecca, A-U-M-A-N.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you.